Let's learn more about him in Daniel chapter 11, beginning with verse 40, and we'll read chapter 12 aloud. Let's stand together, please, out of reverence for the Lord and for His Word. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. The king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against all the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall give power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. (laughs) Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting righteousness or everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. One said to the man clothed in linen who is above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the earth when he had held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what things or what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and the seal and is sealed till the end of till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall be shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be one thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the end of one thousand three hundred and thirty five days. But you go your way till the end For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Lord, our desire is to know you more. Our desire is that even as we come to the end of the book of Daniel, and as we consider the end of time, may we consider that it is God who holds all of time in His hands. You are the Most High King who gives to one kingdom, you establish it, and then you set down another. And ultimately, Lord, we know that there is only one King. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Master and Savior of all. We long for the day in which He will come and He will make all things right. And Lord, may we, as a result of knowing You more today, may we set our hope in eternal life. May we set our priorities toward eternity rather than just living for the things that are temporary and things that won't last. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Daniel 12 is the last of three chapters that are revealing the final vision of Daniel. 
Daniel was so stirred up by the vision that he had received in Daniel chapter 10, it says that he saw the future conflict. Here was a man who was living in, living in Babylon and had been raised in Babylon because he'd been exiled to Babylon. And God had raised him up and used him to accurately represent God even in a foreign pagan culture. God used Daniel to have a great influence not on the, only on the Babylonian Empire but also on the Persian Empire so that kings would be able to give edicts to say worship and serve only the Most High God because He is the only one that is worthy of worship. Daniel knew God. But as Daniel knew God and he knew the Scriptures, he knew that the 70 years of captivity in Babylon was soon to be over and he was anticipating the deliverance of God's people there in Israel. As he prayed for their deliverance, you might remember that in Daniel 9 he prayed this prayer. It says, Therefore, our God, hearing the prayer, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Here is a man who, knowing God and knowing God's plan, would be able to say, Oh Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and for your city and your people who are called by your name. He prayed for the deliverance. And as he began to get an insight into what the future of Israel was, he saw so much conflict and such great conflict and death and suffering that for three full weeks he could do nothing but mourn. He didn't eat meat. He didn't drink any wine. He didn't anoint himself or bathe or take care of himself. He just went to grief and mourning before God, recognizing the terrible things that Israel faced in the future. He also had his eyes open not only to the greatness of the future conflict of Israel, but he also saw the greatness of spiritual conflict, where there is a battle between God and Satan. And God is accomplishing his purposes in and through Israel and that no matter how the devil may fight no matter how he may try to pressure Israel and destroy them God is accomplishing his purposes you see Daniel had it in a previous vision envisioned 70 weeks the first 69 weeks which would lead up to the coming of the Messiah and the Messiah though would be cut off and after that Messiah would be cut off Daniel knew that there would be a 70th week a 70th week was a 70th seven or a 70th period of seven years and sure enough, Daniel knew that that seven-year period would be a time of tribulation and great trial for the people of Israel. Jeremiah the prophet saw that same period of seven years and he called them the time of Jacob's troubles. Daniel now is getting more insight into that last time of tribulation when he realizes that in the end times, when the time of the end is near, he said over and over again, beyond Antiochus who, milled, who murdered thousands of Jews, 80,000 at one time in Jerusalem. We talked about him, Antiochus Epiphanes, who came in. And he set himself up as God, and he said, don't worship any other. And he blasphemed the people of Israel, and he sacrificed a, a pig on the altar. He then killed 80,000 Jews and carried 40,000 more off into slavery. Look, that's suffering, but Daniel recognized that that was nothing compared to the suffering that would come later. He said, Jeff, what kind of suffering? You're describing six million Jews that would be killed in Europe during World War II? Oh, that's suffering. If you consider the picture that Daniel may have seen and anticipated, the picture of bodies that were merely skin over, over bones. When he would look and he would see people who were treated as worse than animals and used for experiments, when he would see gas chambers filled 
with dead Jewish bodies and when perhaps even looked forward and saw the graves of mass graves where all of these Jews are pressured and killed and, and Israel was trying to be destroyed. Daniel saw that time perhaps as well, but he also knew that a time of suffering such as has never been seen in Israel's history, that suffering is yet to come. It's a suffering that will come under a, one of their greatest enemies. A Satan-inspired false messiah, the Antichrist, who will come in and at first he'll win over the people of Israel and they will be convinced that he is their deliverer, their messiah, and yet he will betray them, he will murder them, he will destroy them, so that eventually, finally, Israel will look for their rightful messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they look upon him whom they pierce, when they recognize him as their messiah, when they call upon him in salvation, he will come and deliver them not only from their sins, which is far greater than anything else but he will also come and he will deliver them from their enemies there in Jerusalem I believe that the Bible indicates that he is going to establish a kingdom a kingdom that will last for a thousand years a literal kingdom that will be established here on earth in fulfillment of all of God's covenants and promises to his people Israel he will give them the land that he had promised to Abraham. He will give them the king that he had promised to David. He will give them the spiritual revival and the new heart that he promises in the new covenant. And all of these things are yet to come. That's what we've read about and that's what we're understanding in Daniel chapter 11 and 12 as we come to the end. We discover in these verses that God keeps his promises. And if you can count on God, if Israel can count on God to keep His promises to them over the millennia, certainly you can count on God to keep His promises to you. God is trustworthy. When God comes to you and He says, here is my promise. Here is how I will love you and I will keep you and guard over you. And here is how I will keep you in the palm of my hand. Folks, God keeps His promises and we can trust Him. Amen? We can trust Him. These chapters are really... Not that easy as far as outlining or coming up with what is all here. I mean, the book of Daniel, as you have already noticed, is not so much filled up with word upon word outlines of how you can study and get into the depth. Remember, Daniel is given that we might know God. And knowing God, there are things that are here, details that are vital, things that are very important, and yet it's not easily outlined because it's scattered into different things. And so for the outline this morning... We're going to look with Daniel beyond Syria and Egypt, the kings of the north and the kings of the south that he knew were coming. We're going to look beyond Antiochus Epiphanes, who he saw in chapter 11, who would come and kill the Jews. We're going to go and we're going to look at the 70th week, the time of tribulation unlike any other, like never before. The time of Jacob's troubles. When does this begin, this period of tribulation? Well, according to Daniel 9, verse 27... The tribulation, the seven-year, 70th week, begins with a covenant that is made between an antichrist, a false messiah, and the people of Israel. Someday in the future, there is going to come an antichrist. There is going to come a man who is well-renowned. By the way, I believe the world is, is looking for that man. The United Nations is not able to bring peace. The United States isn't able to bring peace and, and to the constant turmoil in the Middle East. But someday... There will be someone who's able to come in and bring two sides together. He's going to come and bring a facade of peace to the people of Israel and act as if he is their friend. And when he comes, he's going to enter into a covenant with them. And that will begin the tribulation. 
You say, Jeff, all right, the tribulation that begins then, if that's when it begins, what will, where, where will Christians be? Where will the church be at that point? I'd like to skip ahead from where I was actually going and where I wanted to spend time. And I'd like you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Keep your finger in Daniel with me. The 2 Thessalonians tells us when the man of sin or the Antichrist will be revealed. And the indication in 2 Thessalonians is that he will not be revealed until the church is already gone. So, turn 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 3. I'm sorry, it's chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And a man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Now look, there's some way of, of reading this, interpreting it, understanding it that may not go exactly along these lines, but here would be the idea. There has to be a restraint removed from the earth before the lawless one can be can be revealed. That restraining influence we understand to be the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who is the restrainer. He is the one who keeps back this earth from going into, into even worse sin than where we are right now. That restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is primarily right now through His church. It is the church that is the body of Christ. It is the church that is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And as He lives in us, here's what the Holy Spirit of God is producing. He's producing a church that is light, shining to a world of darkness. He's producing a church that is salt, that has a preserving, restraining influence on the earth around us. When He, the Holy Spirit, the ministry, the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit, through His church is removed, then the man of sin will be revealed. What do you mean? I believe that this is indicating that there will be a rapture. The rapture is the catching away of the church to be with Christ. It's described in other passages of Scripture where it says the trumpet will sound, then those that are dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive will remain and remain will be caught up together to meet them with the Lord uh, in the air. So there's going to be a catching away of the saints, of the church of Christ. And that catching away is when Christ comes, not all the way to this earth in His second coming, but when He meets us in the clouds and as He blows the trumpet, He gathers the saints together. The church. So the church is gathered. The church with the ministry of the Holy Spirit through them is now removed so that the man of sin can be revealed. I believe that the Antichrist, this man of sin, will not be revealed and he will not enter into a covenant with the people of Israel until after the church is removed. There are people who disagree with me and that's fine. They're good people. I love them. I respect them. And uh, I think it's just fine for them to be wrong. Well, I certainly believe that what this passage is teaching and other passages of Scripture are teaching is the church is removed, then comes the tribulation. By the way, 
Will the Spirit of God still be working through that tribulation? He hasn't taken away the Holy Spirit. He's taken away the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit through His church. The Holy Spirit is still going to be there, convicting men of sin and bringing them to righteousness so that there will be tribulation saints, including many, many people who are Jewish in their heritage, many of the people of Israel. Well, all right. I I went off on a tangent to help you to understand that, all right, there's the 70th week that's coming. When will this tribulation happen? It will happen after the church is... Uh, is snatched away. It will happen before this man of sin comes. And then the man of sin will come in. He will enter into a covenant and then begins this time of tribulation. Seven years. The seven years that he's describing here are though broken down into two periods. The second period is known as a time and times and half a time. What's that mean? A time, that's singular, that's one. Times would be plural, that's two. And half a time is a half. So you add them up. One plus two plus a half equals three and a half. You say, Jeff, that's a fuzzy math. How'd you come up with that? Well, the three and a half years that I described here, you could also divide into 1,290 days. Three and a half years would be, uh, uh, three and a half years, which should be the 36 plus two, uh, six more months, 42 months. 42 months are referred to in the scripture as that period of time. 42 months of 30 days gives you 1,290 days uh, or so. uh, Yeah, that's right. It gives you the number of days. And so you have the number of days, the number of months, the number of years. It's three and a half years that is a time of great trouble. When does the time of great trouble begin? It says that it begins when the Antichrist, the man of sin, enters in and he stops all of the sacrifices that the people of Israel have been practicing and he commits an abomination of desolation. You say, wait, an abomination of desolation? I thought, I thought that's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. did. Why are you saying that it will happen in the future? I'm saying that there will be an abomination of desolation that happens in the future, somewhat like Antiochus Epiphanes, but it will happen in the future and I'm saying it because... Jesus said it. In Matthew 24, Jesus was giving warning to the people of Israel and as He spoke to them concerning the last times, He speaks concerning the last times and He says, and when you see the abomination of desolation, head for the hills. That's a paraphrase, but He's saying, get out of, get out of Jerusalem. He's saying, get out of here and go find safety because the abomination of desolation will be somewhat like Antiochus Epiphanes had done before Christ ever came on the scene. There is a future person who will come in and he will do a detestable thing. He will set up not Zeus as God to be worshipped. He will set up a statue of himself to be worshipped. He will insist that all the Jews, not only the Jews, but that all the world worship him and him alone. He will do whatever he can to desecrate the temple. He will do whatever he can to annihilate the people of God. And at that point... That's when the light comes on for many Jewish people when they understand, oh, this isn't the Messiah. And that will be when there is the witness of 144,000 Jews who go out and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We should have followed Him before. Let's follow Him now. And that's when they start turning to Him in droves. That's when the Antichrist really gets upset and he begins bringing all of the torment and all of the anguish that had been described in Daniel 12 upon the people of Israel. It said there that at that time, and, and by the way, after this period of time, there will be a, the coming, there will be a deliverance from them, from this thing. And what's now being described is not just the Antichrist, not just the time of tribulation, but now he's describing the deliverance. As that three and a half years comes to a close, as the full 77 years comes to a week, the 70th week, as it comes to a close... There's an anticipation, there's a gathering together of armies so that there will be a huge battle. Here's what he says. 
most of those people that are coming apparently are coming to fight against the Antichrist because they hate him at this point. Really what God is doing is God's gathering people from all over the world to Jerusalem where there's going to be one last battle and that is where Jesus Christ will be revealed in all of his glory. At that battle, it says that there will be people who come from the east. Did you read and remember in Daniel 11, it says that there will be someone coming from the east and it really troubles him, the Antichrist? Well, he's going to look up and recognize an army that is described in other places of the scripture as being an army of 200 million people who come from the east. That would trouble you, wouldn't it? If you knew 200 million people were coming to fight against you, that certainly would be bring the trouble that he's... So that he's, he's troubled. He's realizing that his time is there and so he's killing Jewish people and he's trying to raise himself up even greater. So they're coming now from the east, from the north, from the south. They're all gathered together for what? For Jesus Christ to come again. And when Jesus comes in his second coming, he said, I will come in power and great glory and every eye will see him. When He comes in power and great glory and places His foot upon the mountain of earth, the mountain will split. He will bring judgment and chastisement upon all the nations of the earth. And then He will sit as the judge of the earth. As the judge of the earth at that point, it says that He will judge and He will raise some up. When He raises some up, He will raise them up to everlasting life. And then, anticipating a time when He sits as the, uh, as the judge, there will be some who are raised, and when they are raised up, they will be raised up to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the coming of Christ. He's setting the stage here. He's saying Christ will come and deliver. Now look, for Daniel, he is three weeks in grief because he sees the future of Israel and all the torment, all the suffering, when guillotines are set up and heads are cut off. When people are not, they're they're forbidden food and medicine unless they take the mark of the beast and and show loyalty to that beast. Daniel sees all the suffering, but beyond the suffering, he sees a gathering together of all the nations so that Jesus Christ, when he returns, he will finally bring peace to Israel. He said, Jeff, how do you know that Jesus is going to bring peace to the people of Israel once again? Would you turn to the book of Zechariah. Keep your finger in Daniel. But the book of Zechariah, which is written, by the way, after the Babylonian captivity. And here, let me help you find it. If you go and you find Matthew in the New Testament, go backwards, you find Malachi. Go backwards one more and you have the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was prophesying after Daniel, after the Babylonian captivity. So he's not speaking of deliverance from the Babylonian captivity. It says in in Zechariah chapter 14, and actually let me go... Uh, A little further back. Let's go back to it to actually Zechariah 13 and verse 7. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones and it shall come to pass in uh, in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds of it shall shall be cut off and die. Now, folks, that's not good percentages. Two-thirds of the people of Israel are cut off. Not talking about physical Israel there. Physical Israel, two-thirds of them will be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say, This is my people. And each one will say, The Lord is my God. That's a good place for us to pause and consider who is Israel. Who is Israel? What we've read in Daniel 12 is the same kind of refining purpose where God is sending them through the fire, sending them through tribulation to purify them and have them a people who are set aside for Him. Who is Israel? The people of God 
has never been purely and only genetically Israel. I mean, you go back in the Old Testament and there were people who were born of the lineage of Abraham who disobeyed and rebelled against God and they were condemned. The payment for their sin was death and the intent and the idea there is eternal death. They were Israel, the chosen people of God as far as their nationality and race, but they were not Israel, the spiritual Israel people of faith who followed their Messiah. Are we together? At the same time, there were Gentiles in the Old Testament who followed by faith the Messiah and they would be the people of God. So, there was a physical Israel by descent. There was a spiritual Israel. There was a spiritual working in their hearts where they were coming to faith. The Bible indicates that not all Israel is Israel. Well, what does that mean? Not all physical Israel is spiritual Israel. If you were to go and read and study Romans chapter 9 through 11, and by the way, for those that are amillennialists who don't believe in what I'm talking to about a future kingdom, they have a serious problem with Romans 9-11 through 11 because Romans 9-11 through 11 says God is not finished with Israel. There is coming a day in which He will deal with them again and as He deals with them, He's not going to save all of physical Israel simply because they were born into a right family with the right genes. No. He deals with those physical descendants of Israel who are given a new heart, the spiritual Israel. And that spiritual Israel is grafted in again to God to follow Him. Who is Israel in the future? There will be many people, two-thirds of which physical Israel will be annihilated and destroyed. Will all of them come to faith in Christ? No. But there will be a huge majority of Israelites that, that is indicated that will come to faith in their Messiah and that spiritual Israel will be the ones that Zechariah says, they call upon me, this is my people, I am their God, I'm going to deliver them. As he delivers them, as he delivers them, Zechariah 14 says, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. And I will gather all of the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Is that not what we've just described? I will gather all the nations to battle against it, uh, Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The house is uh, rifled. The women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. And in that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Later on it says, The Lord my God will come and all of His saints with you. Here He comes with all of His saints. When He comes, it says in verse 8, In that day it shall be, the living water shall flow from Jerusalem. Half will flow toward the eastern sea, half toward the western sea. Both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one. His name is one. Folks, we're looking forward to a day when the Lord, the king of the earth, will sit upon this earth. He will come to this earth and He will make things right. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. I look forward to a day in which He comes and He makes things right. Righteousness will be established on the earth. He will restore this earth to what it was designed to be. What it was created to be. Right now, all of this world is groaning under the weight and condemnation of sin. There's coming a day when there won't be the death and there won't be the curse and there won't be all of the effects of sin any longer. There won't be disease and Jesus Christ will reign. And as He reigns, He brings in peace. He brings in righteousness. He leads people and they follow Him. They're brought in a, 
in a perfect kingdom. Now, you say, alright, Jeff, now tell me more about this kingdom. Alright? Who will be in the kingdom? There will be the saints who come with Christ and we will be sitting upon thrones reigning and ruling with Him. There will be Jewish people who came to be saints, but there will also be people still in the world who are not necessarily redeemed. <coughs> the indication is, is that through that millennial kingdom there will still be those who give birth. The world will be populated and there will be more and more have come. And as they come, they're going to grow up in a perfect environment. Under the perfect, generous, benevolent King, the Lord Jesus. Reigning, living under Him for all that time. And yet, Satan will be loosed. At the end of a thousand years, when he had been bound, he will be loosed. And when he is loosed, he's going to deceive and lead them astray one more time so that there will still be a rebellion against God. Hello? Perfect environment. Perfect King. And yet, people still rebel against God? Yes. Because man's problem is not his environment. Man's problem is not his poverty. Man's problem is not his home and his upbringing. Man's problem is sin. And even in a perfect environment, a sinful heart of an unredeemed man will still rebel against God, shake his fist in the face of God to no avail, and they're going to bring judgment upon themselves. I want to ask you a simple question. Are you shaking your fist in the face of God? With all the blessings that he's given, with all what he's brought, with who he rightfully is. He's proclaimed himself through the book of Daniel. We've seen that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and there's none like him. We've discovered the greatness of his power, that he is the one who created all these things. Are we yet, in spite of all what we've heard and all that we've known of him, are we still shaking our fist in his face saying, you know what, I'll do things my own way. You say, Jeff, I would never shake my fist in the face of God. Well... If you are not believing in Jesus Christ, you are shaking your fist in the face of God. If you are not submitted to His plan and His way and following in His steps, you're shaking your fist in the face of God. Some of you teenagers or young adults are perhaps shaking your fist in the face of God, saying, I know what you said, God, about whom I should date, not being unequally yoked. But I don't really care about what you say. I love so-and-so and I just try to win them to the Lord. You know what you're doing? You're being king of your own life. You're shaking your fist in the face of God. And you're heading for big trouble. Some of you who've seen it say amen. It's true. There's no safe way to disobey God. I don't even know what other circumstances there might be, but if we are not submitted to our King, the Master, then we are rebelling against Him in the same senseless, useless, profit, profitless way that Israel rebels, or that the world rebels against God again at the end of the kingdom. What will this Antichrist be like? In chapter 11 and verse 36, it says that he will be Antiochus-like in that he exalts and magnifies himself. It says that he will speak blasphemous things against God. He will prosper for a time. He's going to do very, very well and everyone's going to adore him. In verse 37 of Daniel 11, it says that he will not follow the God of his fathers. Some would say, hey, that indicates that he's a Jewish man by birth and he doesn't follow. Well, that doesn't necessarily follow. It just means that he doesn't follow God. It says that he has no desire of women. Some say, well, that means he's a homosexual. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a homosexual. It just means he has no desire for women, which rules Bill Clinton out. 
I mean, I don't know how many people have been trying to wonder who is the Antichrist. People say Bill Clinton is it. 37. No desire for women. Bill Clinton, he's a womanizer, but he's not the Antichrist. All right. Sorry. No regard for the gods. What's that mean? No regard for the gods mean that here is a man who is so pompous, so arrogant. He's an atheist. No, he's an egotheist. He worships himself as God. Now, if that's what's so bad about him, what is the problem with us worshiping ourselves as God? There's no other authority. I don't like it at home. Too much authority at home. I'm going to go join the Marines. Well, how about the authority that's there? You can't get yourself away from authority. Why don't you stop trying to be your own God? And why don't you let God be God? Here's a man who just rebels against God and we condemn him for it and yet we do the same thing. Last thought that I'm going to bring to all of the chaotic thoughts that I've shared with you this morning. There's a lot that's there. There's not a whole lot of outline that you can follow. But the last thought is this. Daniel was looking to a time when there would be resurrection. A resurrection unto life. And then there would be a resurrection unto death. The resurrection unto death and shame and contempt is the resurrection that happens at the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 says that everyone will stand. Everyone. Every man, woman, child. There's no way of getting away from it. The sea will give up their dead. Death and hell will give up their dead. Everyone will stand before God. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, meaning... Your trust is in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and Him alone to save you from sin. If your name is not found written in the book of life, you will stand before a great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, the books will be open. And you will be given, you will have to give an account for your life according to your deeds. So, when you try to answer to God all the different things, you know the only answer that is going to be acceptable to Him is this, which has already been answered. Yes, I know that I've done all these things, but Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. He paid the price. That's the only answer. But those people have already been raised into life. The people who will find this resurrection are those who depend on their religion, depend on their church, depend on their uh, racial background. They depend on their goodness and their morality. They depend upon their generosity. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. This resurrection unto judgment Shame, contempt is a very real description of a very real eternal hell. And please understand, you will live somewhere forever. You will either come to the resurrection of life through the grace of God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone to save you, or you will come to the resurrection of damnation and you don't have to do anything. To come to that resurrection. You just keep trusting yourself. Going your own way. And it's sure. The question is. And really is a simple question. What will you do with Jesus? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will not be denied. He is all these things that we described. He will be given a name that is above all names. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's just a matter of. Under what circumstances do you bow your knee? Now, so you might be part of the resurrection unto life. Or later, when you're already subject to the resurrection unto death, contempt, and misery. What will you do with Jesus? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one is looking around. All of these things that I described, you say, okay, Jeff, some of it's speculation. Well, most of what I have described this morning is coming from scriptures. 
there's a lot of speculation as to the circumstances around it and a lot of things I have to be honest I don't know but this I know Jesus Christ is coming again and when he comes and he establishes his righteousness you want to be on his side and the only way to be on his side is to believe in him and to call upon him even now is there anyone who say pastor as you spoke this morning as you have opened the word the Lord has worked in my heart and I recognize that I am rebellious against God I've tried to be my own God. I do my own thing. And today is the day I want to bow my knee before Jesus and call upon Him and ask Him to save me and to deliver me from the death, eternal death that I deserve. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I also know that Jesus is God and that He died in my place and I want to, I want to trust Him and His payment to cleanse me from sin. Is there anyone who would raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's what the Lord's doing in my heart. I see that. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would raise your hand in that, in that prayer? Anyone? I'm going to pray for you in a moment, just as I said. I do have another question for those of us as Christians. Christians, are we looking forward to Jesus returning? Are we saying, come Lord Jesus, I want you to come and make things right? And even so, come in my heart right now, Lord Jesus. Rule and reign as the king of my heart right now. You say, Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I've been ruling and doing my own thing. And I want to submit myself to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus. And so there may be some, some, some sin to confess. There might be some self-sufficiency that I need to turn from. I just want to crown Jesus as the King. Pastor, please pray for me. Is there any Christian who'd say, that's how the Lord's been dealing in my heart. I see that hand. Anyone else? Other hands. Many hands. Lord, you continue to work in our hearts, accomplishing what you desire. Lord, I don't know. I haven't even asked all the right questions. Because only your Spirit knows what you are doing in hearts right now. I pray that you will seal these decisions. I pray that you will seal the word that has been spoken into hearts. I pray that the seed that has been planted today would not be stolen away by the wicked one. I pray that that seed would find rich soil and that it would spring up and give great fruit. Finally, Lord, I want to thank you for revealing yourself to us through Daniel. Thank you that through that biographical section we are able to see a great God who is powerful. A God who delivers from the lion's den and from the from the fiery furnace. A God who sets kings up and sets others down. A great God who is righteous and pure. A God that we can cry out to and pray and know that you hear and answer. Thank you that we've seen you, God, through this prophetic section where we remember that our hope is in the Lord. Only our hope is in the Lord. And I pray that as we've studied Daniel and as we go into the next book that you would have us to study, I pray that we would come to know you more. Oh, that that might be the chief end and desire of our life. Lord, when we wander away, when worldly vanities become our focus, and Lord, at those points, would you send the breeze, the gentle breeze of your Holy Spirit to call us back to yourself so that we might know you and desire to know you more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.